Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Welcome back to Breakfast in the Class. Hag Hanukkah Sameach. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Mel and Priscilla Kenwood, Lilunish Matem Moshe Meir Ben Yisrael, and Ruth Bat Avraham from the Katz family. Uh, as well, dedicated in loving memory of Eliza Agami Ajami, uh, Lilunish Mat Eliza Sarah Bat Farah, sponsored by her son Isaac uh, Ajami. Finally, uh, as well, dedicated in loving memory of Lilunish Mat. Hutabat Esther, sponsored by her daughter, Tamar Megadish. Also, every day, uh, our breakfast in the class is done uh, as a And the cold brew is sponsored by David Ash in honor of you and your unwavering commitment to doing good for the state of Israel and fathers around you during these challenging times today and every day. We want to wish Mabruk and Mazaltov to the Batesh family, to Stephen Batesh uh, from our Minyan uh, on the birth of a grandson. And as well, the Brit Milah yesterday with the name Rahamim uh, or Raymond. Mazaltov and Mabruk to the parents, uh, to, uh, to the parents, Isidore and Sharon, Hazaku Baruch and Bezat Hashem, you should bring you only Nahat, uh, Bikarov Mamash. We should be Zoche Bezat Hashem, like we say, Shaasan Isim, Bayamim, Hahem, right? We did, Hashem did miracles for our forefathers in those days, Bayamim, Hahem in those days, Baziman Hazeh, in this time. Now, I always love this, by the way. If it's Bayamim, Hahem, it should be the flip side is Bayamim Hazeh or Bayom Hazeh. Why do we say Bayamim Hahem Baziman Hazeh? In in uh, in the Gemara language, that would be called Davar Vehipucho, which means that you always have something and it's opposite. You don't choose something and something which is not aligned to that thing. So yesterday versus tomorrow 4:30, or is it yesterday versus tomorrow? You draw equal parallels. So it should be Bayamim Hahem, Bayom Hazeh. So, my friends, um, I want to take a look at the Mizmor that we say for Hanukkah. Mizmor Shir Hanukkah Tabayit Le David. This is the Mizmor that we say on the days of Hanukkah. And there's actually different opinions, different customs as to where we squeeze this in. Okay, so our custom is we say it and we light the menorah. But also, there's a question of where we say it in Shaharit. Some people say it at the end, you know where they put the extra addition by Korbanot with the, before the Shir uh, Shil Yom. Some people put it over there. Some people put it, uh, what's it called, at the end, after Alinu L'Shabayach, okay? But this is a, a custom in the community to say this one. Now, why this one of all of them? Because it says, Mizmor Shir, Chanukat Abayit David. So, well, Chanukat, Chanukat, we have a Gzerah Shabbat. That's what we mean over here. We found the same word. That's what we're trying to achieve. Chanukah, Chanukah. So I want to share something that I think is very beautiful. The rededication of the Beit HaMikdash is really what the, the story of Chanukah is about. Now I want to again differentiate very quickly and very clearly. There's the miracle of Chanukah and then there's the story of Chanukah. The miracle of Chanukah was technically unnecessary for the story of Chanukah. Now this is something which Again, I, it's, it blows your mind when you think about it. And let me explain what I mean. Let's say the Jewish people are leaving Egypt. The Egyptians chase them out. God does all the stories in Egypt. But then he gets all the way down to uh, the Yamsuf. And what happens at the ocean? The Jewish people drown all in the ocean. <laughs> what kind of story would we have? Right? It's not me'avdut lecherut. It's me'avdut to not avdut. But then they all died. What happens if the Egyptians would have captured them before they went into the sea, brought them back to Egypt? 
you wouldn't have the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Is that correct? Let's look at the story of Hanukkah. The Greeks come in, they subjugate the entire area, not just the Jews. The Greeks at that time were the world power. They subjugate everybody. They take over everything. They bring Hellenistic culture to everywhere that they could go. What happens after they do that? They want everyone to follow in their footsteps in their way. They take away the mitzvot from the Jewish people, specifically and notably. They take away from them Hanukkah. They take away Chodesh. They take away Shabbat. And they take away Mila. But they also take away the study of Torah, which is where the whole dreidel comes in. They're hiding in the caves. They have to pretend like they're playing some other games. But meanwhile, they're studying Torah. Okay? My friends, in that story, they bring Abu Dazarat to the Beit HaMikdash. What is the end of that story? The end of that story is they take over the Beit HaMikdash, they purify it, they bring it back. That's the, that's the story. The story is that they win the war, they turn everything back, they turn back the clock, everything's pure again. What would have happened if when they got there, there was no oil, so what they do? They found enough oil, they lit for one day. What would have happened? Seven days would have gone by without oil. What would have happened? Nothing. It's fascinating to think about that. That means that the miracle of Hanukkah actually is a, I don't want to say irrelevant detail. Please forgive me. It's an irrelevant detail. Right? It says, no, it says, It doesn't talk about the miracle of it lasting eight days. And there's a question for that, by the way. It's a big question. Why in Al-Anisim do we focus on the war? Right? By the way, in the Gemara, when the Gemara asks what Hanukkah is, the Gemara talks about the oil and doesn't mention the war. So you have, you have it going both ways. Okay? So the reason, I don't want to get into that, at least not for today, but I want to talk about this idea about the miracle of Hanukkah being in irrelevant detail. I want to share with you something that I think is very powerful. Let's look at this Mizmor Shir Hanukkah Tabay the David. Because as I said, really, that was the whole point. The whole point was rededicating the house of Hashem. Taking the Beit HaMikdash, purifying it, starting again, having the Jewish people come back to the path, leaving the Hellenistic way of their Greek overlords. And I want to bring you one verse in this Mizmor Tehilim. Hashem elita min she'ol nafshi. God, you raised me up from the... Uh, the pit, uh, my, my soul up from the pit of hell. You brought me back to life from the depths, from the darkest place. Right? And then there's a beautiful pasuk. Listen to what the pasuk says. You turned, mispedi means my hesped. You took my hesped, my eulogy. Right? My sadness. Lemachol, you turned it into machol, into singing and dancing, into joy. Pitachta saki, you opened up my, uh, my, uh, sack. Okay? But ta'azeni simcha. Now it's interesting. Ta'azeni means you girded me with strength. Okay? Uh, but we say in the morning prayers, we say, Ozer Yisrael bigvura. What does that mean, Ozer Yisrael bigvura? People read it with an ayin. I hear people reading with an ayin. That's Amaretz. Oter Yisrael with an ayin. Ozer Yisrael with an aleph. That God girds us with strength. That's the Berachah we say every morning. 
But over here it says, saki, you opened up my sack, simcha, and you girded me with joy. Now I want to point this, this pasuk is so beautiful. But it's a pasuk that needs to be deconstructed first in order to be put back together. You turned my mourning, my eulogy, my hesped into a fatmispiritli into a dance. Mecholot, what does it mean? Alright? means a circle dance. Okay? Mecholot. Tupim u mecholot, the Pasuk says, when they were by Yamsuf. Pitachta Saki opened up my sack. Now, this word, Saki, has two meanings. One meaning is, the most straightforward meaning is, again, remember the Pasuk. What do we start the Pasuk with? God, you turned my eulogies into, into dancing. Right? That's mispedi. So what's saki? Not my sack, my bag, but rather my sackcloth, excellent. Always we use in, in tandem with the idea of mourning, of hespedim, of death. We talk about sackcloth and ashes, right? Sakva efer, yushat rabim, says the pasuk in the Megillah. Okay? Excellent. So sack means sackcloth. Something which is a sign of mourning. So pitakta saki would mean you took off, you opened my sack, right? The sackcloth, the, the clothing of a mourner, and you girded me with joy. But my friends, I want to share with you something else because this is fascinating to me. Every single time we're reading the Torah on, on Shabbat Hanukkah, without fail, we always read two parashiyot, right? Which parashiyot do we read? Vayeshev and Miketz. Miketz is always there, Vayeshev not always. Miketz is always in Chanukah. What happens in the end of Miketz before Vayigash? They open the sack and find the money. And then again, they open the sack of Benjamin and they find the goblet. Pitachta Saki. You opened up my bag. You girded me with happiness. At the moment that they opened up the sack, that the brothers opened up each of their bags, what were they looking at? They were looking at something which actually caused them tremendous worry. She bifledged. The guy thinks we're spies. He thinks we're thieves coming into this, this country. We brought the money to pay for the food. And now the money is it. We forgot to pay the guy. That's it. What is he going to think now? She bifledged. They get back. They tell their father. They're nervous about it. Yosef, they come back with the money. Yosef said, oh, I didn't. That's not from. Hashem gave that to you. The second time, even more nerve-wracking. What does the pasuk say? When they saw it in the Gabba and Benjamin, they ripped their clothing. They saw that Benjamin now has the goblet. They're terrified. They tear their clothes. They're like Avelim. It back to the beginning of the Pasuk. Right? Where they're, they're, they're mourning, they're in such a terrible place, my friends. This is the nature of what Hanukkah is supposed to represent. Mizmor Shir Hanukkah Habayit Le David. This is the song of the dedication of the house of Hashem to David. Why is that such a strange Pasuk? You have to know the history. David HaMelech never experiences a Chanukah Tabayit. Because David buys the plot for the Beit HaMikdash. He wants to do it. He even says, right, um, God, how can I go to sleep if you don't have a home? How can I rest in a house if you don't have one? 
right? He talks about this and he talks about it in a very sad way. God says to him, listen, I appreciate you, David. Beautiful that you feel this way. But you cannot build my home. A man who is a warrior, who has so much blood on his hands, he's not the person that builds Sukkot Shalom, a, a, a temple, a home of peace. Can't be you. So what happens? David Amelech buys the plot. David Amelech lines everything up. And who hits it out of the park? Shalomo. But listen to this because this is very beautiful. Shalomo Amelech, the king of peace, his name is Shalomo. He doesn't have any wars in his time. He figures out how to make many diplomatic moves to be able to ensure that there's peace in the region. He uses his brains, his formidable knowledge, smartest, wisest man of all time, to be able to avoid ever having to go to war. But my friends, when he builds the Beit HaMikdash, and it's complete, and he comes to the moment, turn key, he walks up to the Beit HaMikdash, and he wants to open the Beit HaMikdash. Our rabbis tell us that a snake comes and wraps itself around the handles of the Beit HaMikdash door. He can't open the Beit HaMikdash. And he asks Hashem, please do it for your sake, please do it for my sake, please do it. Until finally he says, in the merit and in the zechut of David HaMelech, and then it opens, and then the pathway is clear. Mizmor shir le David. My friends, not every person who fights for something merits to see that thing delivered. Not every person that engages in the battle merits to see the Yeshua come through their hand. But in the end of the day, Whose Chanukat Habayit is it? Mizmoshe Chanukat Habayit, the David. The Pasuk is telling us, Hafachta Mispedi. You know, I had many sad experiences in my life. David Amelech has a terrible, there's so much that goes on in David's life. If you had to find one character who has the worst possible life in all of the characters of the Torah, it's got to be King David. No one has it worse. No one. His own kids are trying to kill him. His daughter is raped. By who? By his son. The guy, his life is unimaginable. He's running from the minute. He's, he's pegged as this person who is a, is a traitor to the country. Shaul HaMelech is trying to kill him. Who is it? Who does Shaul HaMelech turn out to be? His father-in-law. Once he's his father-in-law, it's not so weird that he's trying to kill him. That's more regular... But he's trying to kill him before he's even his father-in-law. My friends, this is a man who every day, his best friend dies in battle. Technically, if you know the story, unnecessarily. This is his life. Mephibosheth, people cursing him, people turning against him, the people he tried to save. He runs into a city to protect him. The entire city gets murdered because of him. How does a person like that even go on? I would go majnun. I would literally have a mental breakdown. You experience a, a fraction of what David HaMelech goes through. But what does David HaMelech do? The more sadness, the more misped, the more difficulty, the more David HaMelech turns it into. Like the Pasuk says, Va'ani tefilati what does that mean, va'ani tefilati? Most people translate it, va'ani kama. 
and I, tefilati lecha amunai etatzon. My prayer is for you, comes to you in a time uh, where you desire the right time. But the Chachamim tell us something different. Va'ani tefilati. Do you know what my prayer to you is, Hashem? Me. I am prayer. I am tefillah. My life, my faith, the fact that I get up in the morning, that is a sign of prayer. Let me explain what this means because I think that people miss it. They miss it. You know, we find this word, it gets bandied about quite a lot. Emunah. Emunah means faith. So people think anima amin means I have faith. How do you have faith? Every day you say anima amin bemunah shlema, anima amin bemunah shlema, anima amin bemunah shlema. Thirteen principles of faith of Rambam that identify a person as being part of the Jewish faith. Rambam says, you don't have one of those thirteen, you're out. You're not a member of faith of the faith. That's what he says. There's thirteen core principles that render a person part of the Jewish faith, not of the Jewish nation, but of the Jewish faith. So people think that means that you have to say, but my friends, that's not true. Rambam never once said that a person has to say them every day. You could have a person who says them every day, who is not a ma'amin. And you have a person who never said them once in his life, who could be full of emunah. The question is not what you say, it's how you live. It's by what principles do you live your life? My rabbi used to say this all the time. There's a famous concept in Judaism called the Shesh Mitzvot. Yes, Shesh Mitzvot, there's six mitzvot that a person is obligated to be doing at every single second. Did you know that? There's six mitzvot. That you have to be doing every second of your life. Now, I'm very scared when I learn this because I'm not a woman. I'm miserable at multitasking. I can only focus on one thing at a time. Now you're telling me that minimum, you have to be doing six mitzvot every second of your life. What are these six mitzvot? You have to believe that there is a God, that there's no one but Him. It's unbelievable. All these things, six different principles that you have to be doing constantly. And my rabbi, when he explained what this idea means, yeah, I'll do it. we should do a whole class on this. Not to turn away. person has to believe that there's only one God, that there's no one else but Him. They need to be working to be able to be miyached Shem Hashem. They need to love Hashem. They need to fear Hashem. They need to focus on not turning away from God's mission. All six of those things. My friends, let me explain what this means. A person in this life has an opportunity. Okay? Let's say as an example, there was a fellow in your childhood who told you they were going to be there for you. A good friend. Maybe a parent. Maybe a brother or a sister. And you know what, as time went on, you realize that this person that you trusted, you could not trust them. They broke your trust. They, uh, they hurt you, and they hurt you badly. A person like that is really given a choice in this life. And that choice is, since I learned 
that the people I trust are not trustworthy, I could live my life sans trust. I could be a person who goes around in my life thinking everybody's going to mess you over. I don't trust anybody. I don't believe in anyone. I don't believe in anything. You know people like that. People who have trust issues. There are people who loved. They got married. Their wife or their husband broke their heart. You talk to them afterwards, five years later, you're like, oh, there's someone really nice I want to introduce you to. You know what they say? <laughs> I did that already. I'm not making that mistake again. We all know people. You know people who at a certain age of being single, no matter who you suggest to them, I don't know. They got so entrenched in who they are and where they are. Uh, look, I met so many... Uh, look, I don't think... I, I don't know, I get, maybe it's not for me. Maybe not everyone. A person could live with love. A person could live with trust. Or a person could live without trust. That person who has trust issues. Where do his trust issues manifest? Everywhere. Everywhere. He reads, he's the only guy that when he gets a new phone, reads the whole thing before checking the box. Every other guy, we agree. This guy can't handle because he believes everyone's out to get him. Someone comes to him, they want to be his friend, they want to hang out with him, they want to, they, what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want? What do you want from me? That's what he's thinking. A person who has trust issues, they go with him everywhere. A person who's had the most beautiful life, where everything always work, worked out for him. A person who's entitled in life, spoiled. They were spoiled by their parents. What happens when they go to school? They're in trouble. What happens when they get a job? They're in trouble. They go to the boss. They tell the boss, look, you know, I really, I know I haven't really produced this year, but you know, it was really, it was tough for me. It's tough for me this year. You know, really, it wasn't my fault. The other guy, this one, that one. What does the boss say? Get lost. An entitled person believes they're entitled everywhere. A person who has had their heart broken maybe doesn't believe in love everywhere. And vice versa, for the positive. David HaMelech says, every time life tried to punch me in the face, life tried to beat me, life tried to win, what happened? I prayed to Hashem, and Hashem saved me. David HaMelech has so many near-death experiences, that if he was alive today, he would own the National Enquirer. Do you understand? David HaMelech, he gets to a point where he says, Va'ani tefilati. I am my prayer. I know that in every scenario, no matter how bad it looks, I am my prayer. I stand with my tefillah. Lecha amunai et ratzon. Elohim rochazdecha anilibemetishecha. God, and I think that this is something which people don't understand. A lot of times, people wait for the moment that's a good moment. They wait for an etratzon, for a good moment for God to listen. When's a good moment? Mincha and Shabbat's a good moment for praying. You know what else is a good moment for praying? Ne'ilah, good moment. You know what else is a good moment? Chanukah, good moment. David HaMelech says, I am prayer. You know when it's a good time for God to hear my prayer? Always, always. Vani tefilati. Therefore, when a person feels that, it's always a good time to pray. 
God, with all of your kindness, I know you're going to, you'll make it a good time. You ever have that? Your kid comes to you, you're in the middle of something, kid says, Dad, I'm so sorry to bother you. I really need you. I'm in trouble. What do you do with whatever phone call you're on? I'm going to have to call you back. Hang up. This is the biggest business deal of your life. Your kid calls you, says, Dad, emergency. What do you, excuse me, you leave, $20 million on the table. Sorry, my kid's calling, says it's an emergency. I need to step outside. Borei Olam gets a phone call from you. And you're praying like it's an emergency. What does every one of us say in the meeting? You come outside. Is everything okay? Is, is it an emergency? What if you say no? He says, I'll, I'll call you back. What if you say yes? Okay, what's, I'm here. What's the condition of God making any moment in Etratzon? When you say to God, this is my last shot. I don't have wisdom, creativity, money. I don't have an army. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. You know what I have? Vani tefilati. Dad, I didn't want to bother you, but I have no other choice. What does God say to whoever he's in a meeting with? Slicha, my son's on the phone and he needs me. It's an emergency. A person who lives life like that sees his enemies come before him. They rise and they fall. God, you took every single tragedy that I had and you turned it into a dance. Interesting that we use that word because there's a difference in Hebrew between two kinds of dances. One kind of dance is in Hebrew you'd say, Rikudim. Rikudim means to dance. But machol specifically means what kind of a dance? A dance in a circle. In a circle. Hafachta mispidi le macholi. In a circle, the focal point of the circle is the intention. The middle of the circle, what you're dancing around, that is the point. When you dance around the chatan and kala, that tells you who's the most important person in the room. Even though the father-in-law who thinks he's paying for everything thinks he's the most important person in the room, the most important person in the room is chatan and kala. Sometimes again, I just want to say this, side note. Remember that when you're planning a wedding. It's not about you. Not about you. You have parents who want to make a big fancy wedding, but the kid don't want a big fancy wedding. Wants to get married on the beach with a minyan. They get nervous from crowds, but I have to invite everyone. I have to. It's not your wedding. Unbelievable. Michila, again, sorry. Forgive me. You have a singer at the chuppah. You have a singer singing. Where do they sing? In the chuppah. I've seen this new thing that the hazan comes out in front Stands in front of the Hatan Kala, facing the crowd, putting on a concert. Sorry. Incorrect. Incorrect. Why, why, why is anyone but the focus? I don't understand this. I don't get it. You're dancing at a wedding. You see this all the time. People will take the Hatan, ask him for a Beracha in the middle of the wedding, and now there's a line forming. The guy has one night in his life, hopefully, to dance at his wedding. But my beracha is more important. I got to take the katan in the middle of his dancing. 
That's one thing. Person has an emergency. You know, one thing. Person, you know, the person's uh, grandfather's leaving for the night. Okay. But the idea that there's now a line of people and the music is playing and the Chatan can't dance at his own wedding. I can't stand it. Rabbi, Rabbi, we're going to make a minyan for our beat now. I'm sorry. The Chatan is coming out now for the dancing. And Hala, you want to make a minyan for Arbit and take all the men outside? Pray Arbit later or don't pray Arbit at all. Again, people, they don't understand who the circle's around. David HaMelech says, I take everything, every difficult situation that happens to me, I put it in the middle and I dance around it. And I know that that will become the focal point from which emanates salvation. You see, the Jewish people, they live in Israel and they're starving to death. That's what's going on. They don't want to go to Egypt because they're more scared of being in Egypt than of dying hungry at home. Crazy. They're all, they're starving to death. They don't have food. That's why they went down in the first place. They're willing to risk their life, Reuven says, Yehuda says, because if not, we're all going to die here of starvation. They go down, but they're terrified. The bag opens, now the money's here, now the gavia's here. What am I going to do? God says, You know why I took you through this? Not because the joy is going to make you happy. Ta'azreni means He's going to gird you with that strength. The strength that you got from overcoming that adversity, overcoming that misped, tearing off the sackcloth, is going to become the thing that brings you strength forever. David knows that his obligation is to try, to make the moves that he can. And he knows that it's his job to pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But when he does, ultimately, in the fullness of time, we get to see things. We are seeing challenges. But my friends, yesterday, our first Hanukkah miracle, where 100 Hamas fighters turned themselves in, stripped themselves to their underwear to turn themselves in. Why? They're so frightened that they're going to get killed in their holes, like the animals that they are, that the instinct for self-preservation is coming out. My friends, we are seeing in our time Zedim biyad oratecha. We are seeing Timeim biyad tehorim. But just like the beginning of Al Anisim is coming true, I ask you, Hashem, va'ani tefilati, that we should be zocher to see v'kavu shmonat yemei. They turn these days into days of Halel v'hoda'a, days of prayer, days of praise. Hashem, we're waiting to bring you the ultimate Halel, the ultimate Hoda'a, when every single one of our children is returned home safe and sound, where our soldiers are safe, where Eretz Yisrael remains and grows and builds on the peace that we have found between brothers. And through this process, Be'ezrat Hashem, we'll be zochet to see, just like this Mizmor Tehilim says, Mizmor Shir Chanukat Habayit David. David Amelech did not see a Beit Hamikdash. He could not understand or or fathom what it would look like, and he did not get to see it in his day. But still, it is called the Chanukat Habayit of David. Please, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, let us merit also, even though we can't see a way to the goal. We're doing what we can. Bring us the Beit Hamikdash. Let us light again the Chanukah candles, not in the windows or by the doors, but rather 
in the house of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in the place that King David brought, uh, obliterate the blight that is, just like the Hashmonaim got rid of the Abu Dazara that was in the temple then, there is a mosque Hashem sitting on your holy temple. Bore Olam. Is it not enough? Have we not suffered enough? Is there not a time here now to be able to see that light returned once again to Zion with the building of the Beit HaMikdash, when the Tiharuet Mikdashecha, with the purification of your home, with the coming back of all of the exiles to Eretz Israel, Every one of us, we don't belong here. We belong there. And you know who else belongs there? Not just the Jewish people. All the nations of the world will come with us like the Navi says. And they'll come to the Beit HaMikdash. And that's where they will bring their korbanot. Like the Navi says. The whole of this world, Hashem, will be in your service. They will beat their swords into plowshares. We, were, we had to fight once, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, But the purpose of our fight was so that there would be no more fighting. With the coming of Mashiach Merave, Amenu. Amen. Amen.